What's up? Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Melly Hock, who's the lead planner in the brand practice at Edelman in New York. We worked together a few years ago. It was fun times, Melly. How are you? I'm great, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. So we're going to talk about strategizing while black. That's what we're going to talk about today. Before I record, I, I like to ask people what's on their mind. What do they want to talk about? And this is one of the themes that Melly wanted to talk about. So usually I don't get into people's identities unless they bring them up. If I'm, if I'm talking to somebody who happens to be a mother or a father, um, usually unless they bring it up and want to talk about it, I, I won't get into it. I'll talk more about the work, right? So uh, at the same time, I'm interested to hear this perspective. And uh, so I appreciate you being brave enough to share what you're about to share with us. Why was the topic strategizing while black the topic on your mind that you wanted to talk about today? For sure. Thanks for asking that. You know, I really do feel like as a um, someone who would like to consider themselves someone who's in a leadership position um, and who is a black woman in the industry that, you know, I want to use my platform when I have one to really talk about what that experience is like, but more importantly, how we can sort of use our different perspectives to um, improve the craft of what it is that we do across the board. And I, I also find a lot of times that the conversation about diversity in the creative and planning industries quickly um, goes it goes straight into a place of diversity and inclusivity like in our workspaces I know which is absolutely foundational it's important work that has to be done the numbers are too low all that is true um, but what I think I hear less of is like really about those of us who are doing the work today um, and how do we advocate for diversity in the work you know as a person of color as an ally um, even when you don't have a multicultural brief in front of you mm-hmm. so What's a question for me to even get into the topic? Like, where where do you start? Where would you start with yourself when you're thinking about the topic of strategizing while black? I'll start where I ended there just now, which is around like the multicultural brief, right? Because I think what's really interesting, you know, in marketing in general is like, you know, we've evolved into this space where brands have, you know, really embraced this idea of, you know, having their multicultural communications. Um, and maybe they'll dedicate a small portion of their budget to really like targeting, you know, these Hispanic moms or, you know, black women with natural hair. And, and that's all well and good. But, you know, and I, I do think that there is a huge need for creative work and for strategies that are directly tailored to specific communities, you know, at, at times when, and when very relevant. But that being said, I think that we all have to acknowledge that as strategists, our job is really to understand that even when we don't have a multicultural brief, um, at least when you're talking about the U.S. landscape, what you always have is a diverse audience um, that, you're, that you're going to be putting work out in front of. But I think that if our job is really to look ahead and to future-proof our brands, then all planners really need to have this in mind and think about how that work is going to kind of live and breathe in a diverse world. Mm-hmm. Well, so I've been in America for eight years. I'm pretty sure I said it was nine years ago recently, but it's actually eight years uh, for about eight years up to a couple of weeks ago, actually. And I remember going to early briefings with clients and there were multicultural agencies. And I honestly had this reaction like, what, what is it? What's this for? Why don't we just have people from different backgrounds who can understand and connect with people, customers, audiences who are also from different backgrounds? But there was a whole industry built up around it. I haven't followed it as much, but I have a feeling like, is that still a big part of the advertising industry in America from what you can tell? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it is still extremely relevant. You know, I think that the specialty and the expertise there is real. I actually have to say that most of like the multicultural teams I work with, like, you know, even if it's a, a PR agency like Edelman, they almost like had to be planners from day one because they were always responsible for really understanding this audience and who this audience is. And like, they've always been the gatekeepers of audience insights and, you know, sort of helping brands understand how to contextualize their truths for their communities. So there's a lot of historical knowledge there, 100%. You know, I think what you're seeing over time is that people are seeing that it's not really about a minority audience anymore, right? So I think increasingly you're seeing this move to the center of brand communications. Um, and again, I think when, when clients are doing it right, um, and it's no longer necessarily a, like something that's on the side or that's separate from the core communications. You know, And I think that what you're going to see is that like migrating into the center more and more as we become essentially a majority multicultural world in the next 10 years or so. And have you had times in your career where because of how you looked, people wanted to put you on multicultural projects and not, I guess, were they called mainstream? Was it multicultural versus mainstream? Was that the binary that we had? Mass mass general market, I think is the thing. So yes. And and it's funny because, you know, I don't consider myself a multicultural specialist, um, but yeah, because of, you know, what I look like and, and... the nature of where I sit, I do often get pulled into things that are multicultural specific, which is an interesting kind of experience. You know, I think that one of two things tends to happen when I'm in that position. Like one thing might be that (laughs) people almost like want my opinion more than my insights and strategy as I would usually develop them. Mm. Um, And that's like an interesting place to be in, you know, especially as like, you know, a planner and someone who like, you know, appreciates a certain level of like rigor and, and, and thoughtfulness to what they do. It's like, you know, well, my opinion is only my opinion and I have a very different experience than the rest of my community or than like any, or different people. My community is not monolithic, right? Um, And so sometimes I actually find that people are a little bit too much seeking of of opinions versus like evidence-based work and like deeper insights. Mm -hmm. So that's like almost on the one hand. But then on the other hand, you have these experiences where colleagues or clients, like they'll have absorbed like so much desk education and so much research and so many stats that it's almost like, you can't convince them of anything else, right? So it's so you have these cases where you almost feel like your experience is being undermined, like when you're trying to provide context or nuance around things. So uh, it's kind of an interesting place to be in, you know, kind of between those two dichotomies where on the one hand, you know, you want to bring, like really put your, your heart into the work and do it from a, like a planning, you want to give it what it deserves, right? And come up with like those best insights and, and the most creative thinking. But then you also have moments where like when you do that, it is being, the feeling of it being challenged can be, you know, very difficult. And, you know, I guess I would say like a takeaway from that is like, you know, you do have to be really careful about like challenging the experiences of people of color who've really done the work and have borne the burden of explaining like our stuff like to you. So, you know, so it, it, it's definitely challenging, but it's some of the most rewarding work I would say that I do. Mm. Yeah. That must be surprising when you get pulled into a room as someone who does strategy or who does planning and you go from researcher to researched or strategizer to strategizee. Do you have a, uh, is there a label or a word that you would put on that, that second role where instead of the strategist or the planner, you're the researched? What do you call that? <laughs> uh, I call it consulting. 
I don't think that's an accurate word for what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that it's, I guess, is that inclusivity? I guess, you know, um, if you are kind of talking to people in the network of color about their experiences, I mean, one of what you don't want to happen ever is that, you know, people don't feel like they can give their, their reactions, their gut reactions, their instincts, their opinions, you know, especially when you're talking about evaluating creative work. I think it's ridiculously important that people inside agencies um, and on the client side, people of color feel very empowered to speak up and, and talk about like, you know, how their reactions, whether or not, you know, the work is, by and for a community of color, that's incredibly important because, you know, that's how you avoid some different crisis issues and loss of trust. Um, so that's, it's a, it's a good thing. And, and everyone's heart, I think, is in the right place for sure. So yeah, I think that that's, again, another important takeaway. So how can somebody bring someone like yourself into a role and and get the most out of you, like bring you into a project to consult briefly and get the most out of you without patronizing you? What I've seen work really well is almost like it's weird because it's the same principles that apply to anything in a way. Like, number one is like you have to be really thoughtful about how you engage people. Um, you know, especially if you're asking them to come to the table uh, based on their their identity. And I see it happen sometimes. Like, you know, when I say be thoughtful, I mean it's not like sending something via email to like a group of you know of black women and saying, "Hey, what do you think about this thing?" You know, unless you happen to have like that cool relationship and it's part of an ongoing conversation. I think it's being thoughtful in terms of like being very one to one about it. Like, you know, having a, a personal conversation with a few individuals, perhaps encouraging them to uh, gather a group um, to to review something or to give uh, feedback on a topic or to. Um, you know, even answer a set of survey questions. You know, I think it's all about building trust uh, and and going from there. You know, and it's funny because because it's not only in terms of building insights or reviewing creative. I even think that that's true when it comes to basic things like giving bios for a new business project, right? <laughs> you know, when, you know, when you know something is going to be like, you know, let's say it's multicultural, you know, don't send a mass email sort of saying like, hey, you've been randomly selected to put your bio in this thing. You know, that might be diversity, but it's not inclusivity. So I think it's really, really important to always be very mindful to build trust um, first before you ask people to really delve into the politics of their identity. Mm -hmm. uh Help me understand diversity and inclusivity, how they differ uh, based on how you see the world. I, I would love to answer this question in a way that it hasn't been answered before, but I think that's absolutely impossible. I mean, like diversity is like, you know, having a seat at the table. Inclusivity is like, you know, being invited to give a toast or something like that. Um, well, what I think is interesting, actually, is if you look at it in terms of marketing, right? What's super interesting with this movement from diversity to inclusivity is, uh, is really around, I think, like upstreaming voices in the entire like marketing funnel. So if you think about diversity um, in marketing and advertising, like, you know, a couple decades ago, it's like United Colors of Benetton was like the like case study for diversity in marketing, uh, perhaps. And, you know, and you, you were really seeing a lot of, and also the kind of like really focused multicultural work started to come to the fore. Um, but I think like now, 
we are very much living in a post-Fenty world, I would say, where people are understanding that like it's not really enough to be diverse in the representation of people at the you know on the other end of the camera. It's really around greater inclusivity um, in, behind the scenes, right? And everything from the product development mm-hmm. side to the uh, co-creation of messaging um, to you know reviewing like what is going on the back of like of the label right before it goes to walmart like what you know what is that language on there you know i always joke about you know the uh conditioners that are like you know apply a dime-sized amount what is applying a dime-sized amount who wrote this stuff right so having inclusivity like all the way you know through the development process like and then into you know even the sequencing of communication sometimes can be so huge you know if you if a if a client is going out talking about you know something that is broadly relevant to a large swath of people but highly relevant to like a smaller community how are you sequencing communication so that you're reaching that community first and like getting them behind you as allies before it goes out more broadly? So when I think about inclusivity, it, it really is about like genuine partnership throughout this entire process. And it's not just about like kind of saying, oh, you know, we know that there are diverse people out there and we're going to show diverse people and reach out to them when we're ready. So that's how I think about it, I guess, in the context of like, you know, what we're in the business of. Right, right, right. Uh, I saw an interview with Chance the Rapper. I think it was by Trevor Noah in Chicago a couple of years ago. And Chance the Rapper talked about, well, he said that the idea of being black is an American idea. I hadn't heard that before. I'm sure there's a ton of literature on this. When you're thinking of this topic that we're talking about today, strategizing while black, what is black? Okay, so it's funny that you say that because... That might be true. I, I went to, I've gone to South Africa a couple of times um, in the last few years. And the experience of going to the Apartheid Museum like really shifted my lens on a few things and perhaps like crystallized something I've been thinking about for a while. What happened when I went to the Apartheid Museum, basically they talked about like the four different races in South Africa. Right? There was white, there was Asian, which included people from India, etc., there was colored, which was like the light-skinned folks, essentially, people who were descended from like, you know, biracial, you know, there were colored folks. And then there was black. And so I'm looking at these different classifications and, you know, even my friends out there in South Africa, you know, like colored as a race is a thing, right? And black as a race is a thing. And like there's different community groups built around those different ideas, right? And of course there's intersectionality as well. But you know, when you kind of pivot over to the US, or rather so that now thinking about it in South Africa, like that was born out of the colonizers definition of people. Right? Like that that's how that was made, right? You go over to the US, it's like I consider myself a black woman. I'm not I, I'm biracial, right? So I I would potentially be colored in South Africa. But here, I definitely consider myself a black woman. And I was like, huh, well, that's because like the colonizers <laughs> basically said, oh, one drop of, you know, of black blood and you're black. And so, you know, I do believe that that historical basis has evolved the way that we think about blackness in America. You know, and, and that being said, like, I think that one of the most beautiful things about <laughs> black people and black Americans is the ability to kind of like take these constraints and just like make so much 
tremendous cultural, like creative, like movements out of them that have included redefining what those things mean and have included like finding like power and community within what those things mean and have included becoming like the tremendous cultural force that we are today. And so, you know, so yeah, I guess like in, in a sense, there's like this historical basis where like you were being defined by someone else, right? But what we've done with that, I feel like it is is just beautiful. It's, mm. it's the beautiful black experience. So what is black? It's a color. Okay. Oh, and you know what, actually, when we're talking about this, so, you know, I was in a couple of meetings recently, like you still notice in decks, like when people are talking about, usually talking about like black people, they'll say AA, right? It's like AA comma Hispanic comma everyone else also. Mm. And it's like, I'm like, AA, I'm so African-American. And African-American is different than black. I mean, I prefer the term black because I think usually people mean like, you know, black, like especially if you're talking about like a beauty brand or like something like that really actually has relevance for like how somebody looks. It is more around like, you know, their race and their ethnicity per se. So I know that's actually something that's been on my mind quite a bit. Okay. Uh, and so take me back to the earlier part of your career what were some of the challenges that surprised you about strategizing while black there's this word that we use a lot you know around like kind of like gravitas right and like coming from the industry it's like you know does this person really have the gravitas to like lead a client meeting do they have the gravitas to do all of these things and you know sometimes i do think that that can become coded for like you know are they professional enough are they the right culture fit enough for that particular client and you know i remember always like hearing that word and kind of thinking like you know oh, well, you need to build your gravitas and, and i a hundred thousand percent know that there's perhaps a, a lot of validity in that but at the same time i think that there are these like coded notions you know where people are basically saying i don't know if my client is going to respect this person right perhaps because they're too young perhaps perhaps because they're a black woman perhaps because you know this is a very, a very corporate client, quote unquote, let's say, right? Um, and you, it's, you see through it, right? I think you see through it. You see through the shuffling around that, that senior leaders um, sometimes do in terms of like matching uh, a, you know, a planner to the client. And yeah, and I think that can be really difficult. So, okay. Yeah. Maybe I, I should ask uh, that again. Was that vague? <laughs> no, no, I, I get it. And, and also to respect your current employment situation but i think where um when agencies filter their own people without their own people having met a client i i find that so spineless and over over time it started it's, it sort of disgusts me a little bit because the point is to find good talented interesting curious diverse people and then back them almost like a, a little bit like a gangster like no these are my people this is this is we're going to yes. do good work for you we're going to do good work for you this is how it's going to roll as opposed to this fussiness and pickiness that i've seen uh in recent years is bizarre is, is that do you still sort of come across that or do your, your friends in other companies I'll, I'll broaden the question do people you know come across that uh the casting as some agency folk might call it, that is coded and not honest, but done through language like gravitas. Is that still a common thing or culture fit? Culture fit. 
Yeah, no, for when I talk to my friends across the industries, I think that you'll get varying reports. You know, I think that in some cases you have people who have really broken through and earned like the trust, I guess, of like their agencies and, and they don't face that as much. But I definitely hear, especially from, um, from younger people across the industry that they face those kinds of issues, you know, whether it's being like, whether it's pitch casting or, you know, like, yeah, typecasting once a piece of business is, is one, you know, they're really concerned about that and, and they're concerned about getting pigeonholed into it. You know, I think that's why a lot of people do end up going, you know, sometimes into more multicultural specific functions, you know, whether or not Kindly, they, they wanted to from the outset and it's because they don't have to worry as much about like, you know, feeling like their opportunities are, are limited because, you know, they're never going to be a, like partnered with a client. Um, yeah. In that context. Okay. So then as far as strategizing while black, what do you think have been the main changes that you've noticed in your career to date? I think that you're definitely seeing more clients want to engage black and brown consumers earlier and better for sure. And they are being more thoughtful, I would say, on the whole, about the efforts that are that are targeting towards them. Now this varies greatly across industries. You know, um, I think in the kind of like consumer CPG beauty side, um, they're they're actually it's funny, they went from being a bit behind to like to a bit ahead on things. So that's one thing I, I, I do find more and more from, from clients, like you're seeing like multicultural uh, communities being brought into the brief earlier. Mm. I think that you're, what, what I'm not seeing is a dramatic increase in the diversity across the industry. Um, you know, I, what I'm still seeing is a case where like, you know, maybe an agency will have, you know, someone multicultural in the mix when that's like very specific to the audience, but you're not just seeing like kind of in the hallways every day, a lot of people who look like you, um, even in like the IAT. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, can you think of a time when you've used your personal life experience, uh, in a way that has affected non-multicultural campaigns and work in an unexpected way? Mm. When I've used my life experience to affect work in a... That's sorry, I'm trying to unwrap, I'm trying to unbraid that. So yeah, it's, it's, if, it's very easy for me to ask questions that are just the wrong words. And so I guess some of my <laughs> questions are super, are super vague right now. But, you know, the, the, the question, if I was to reword it, because we trust each other, is like, when have you used... Your, the, your blackness to your advantage in a way that was unexpected and in a way that wasn't even really about being black, but it kind of started there. Oh, I, I kind of feel like I do that every day mm. because, and this isn't about the work, but this is just about my, my professional life. Like I, I like being the underdog. I, I relish it. I love it. You know, I, I like going into a room where I haven't met people before and like, they don't know that I'm the most senior person there. They don't know that I'm like the SVP on the account in that first like kind of IET get together, you know, and they'll introduce themselves to like, you know, the planners on my team and things like that. I relish the moment where everyone sits down and I'm like, you know, running the, the, the program. You know, I, I actually find, I, I find that great. And, and I think it, it can, um, it can, you know, at some point just make you like stand out even more. I don't know. I, I love it. I actually like really get fuel from that. And I, I like to just be real with people. And I like to be honest with people in rooms and like talk about like my genuine perspective on things. And I like being able to do that, you know, like being able to do it without filter. 
Uh, is that something that you still run into pretty often? The that people assume that you're not senior. Yes, for sure. Mm. If I've not been, yeah. If if it's on like first meeting, then absolutely. Or I would say that they don't interact with me the way that I see them interacting with other you know senior leaders. So. Mm. And how do you? But it sounds like you kind of enjoy part of it and relish it. It must hurt at the same time. Yeah, you know, a little bit. It's funny. I was talking to um, one of our ECDs the other day, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal woman and an incredible, incredible ally. And you know, it's kind of confessing to her. You know, we had a, a, a client thing, and I was confessing to her. I was like, I sometimes feel like there's this sense of almost like mentorship that happens, you know, between women in these like different dynamics, right? Where like, you come together and like they're really supportive of each other in different ways and like, they'll share experiences and they'll bond over having kids and these common things. And and I do sometimes feel left out of that. And I have wondered like, you know, if it's because like they don't feel like they can relate to me as much, you know, like I'm a black woman, I don't have kids, you know, I live in New York, like I'm, you know, and, and I kind of, I, and that does make me feel kind of sad. I was like, you know, I don't always feel like people are kind of supporting me and cheering for me in the room as much. And it was a really honest conversation. And we, and because she's amazing, she's like, you know, I, she's not said anything, but I have noticed her taking on that role with me proactively. And it, it makes a difference. And like, I, and I know she's doing it. it. It's so meaningful to have that, that level of like, you know, like this is my person you know, and, and, and they matter, like to have that in your corner is, is important. Okay. Uh, and then what are some of the cliches that you're running into in, in your work uh, and specifically work that does deal with blackness? Well, one of the cliches that I run into every day, and I just think it's funny. So I'm, I'm starting to collect these things is like, (laughs) you know, the photos in our decks, this is a little one, but like, the stock photography sometimes that we put in our decks, you'll see like, you know, it's a busy mom, right? Of course it's a busy mom. Um, but like, if we know that like actually like the largest number of new moms are like Hispanics, like I'm not seeing like, you know, one in three of those decks like feature a Hispanic mom, unless it's like specifically a deck like about a Hispanic mom. So I always think that that's really interesting. It's like, if you were just to look at the decks, I wonder how much it would actually reflect the diversity of America. It's almost like you can't show like a black woman doing something without it being a deck like about black women doing that thing. Mm. Whereas you can show like a white woman doing something and that can just be representative of like all thing doing (laughs) that happens. Yeah. I I don't know if this has been done, but boy, would it be interesting to take 10 recent decks and just completely like just to change the photos and and to reverse them and to apply what you're talking about there that'd be so interesting as a bit of an art experiment it would be fascinating and i even think about it sometimes like with with the research we do right like especially when it has to be a little quick and dirty right let's be honest and like you're reaching out to like your network or you know you're you're doing stuff like on a dime you know i i wonder like well what would your client think like if for this busy moms pitch, if like we only talked like black moms in the making of our insights, right? Would they think something about that? And like, so I don't know, I've been dwelling on that question recently. It's like, but yet sometimes we're okay with not like going that mouth, ensuring that we're not like only talking to, you know, to white mothers or to whatever community it might be, you know? So, so I think again, like that's another thing that really gets me. It's like, we need to be like pushing as planners, <laughs> we need to be pushing at that moment to make sure that like diverse audiences are consulted in like the making of our insights even. 
Otherwise, yeah, it, it just it seems backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, what's another kind of cliche or just thing that maybe people are doing on automatic too much that should no longer be on automatic? AA. <laughs> And for some reason, that always bothers me. And I'm sure that it bothers every other black person in the room when you just say like AA in a deck. It's like, just say black women, black people. Um, can, I, can I ask you, what, what is it about AA? I know you, met, you were getting into it earlier, but just, I'm just kind of keen to hear it clearly again. What is it about AA that is wrong-footed? I would say that the nomenclature has really evolved in culture and within the black community to be black versus African-American. And there is um, a bit of like old schoolness, I guess, that I read into AA when I see it. And also a little bit of like laziness. I'm like, oh, it's just going to be like AA. Like we'll abbreviate it. Um, But I'm probably reading into it too much. And and yeah, I just think that it's like not really reflective. I think if you're going to engage an audience, it is worth putting things in the language of that audience from jump, like right from the beginning, you know, like, you know, we're going to engage like black women for this campaign. Okay. Right. Like, 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 like just, just like, let's start to like speak and, and think in that mode right from the start. Right. Versus having the kind of like, you know, sort of clinical dots around it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about, Art Noir as well. Can you explain to people what it is? Yeah, so um, Art Noir is a nonprofit that I co-founded with five of my friends, um, and we do a lot of cultural programming um, around the city and around the world that um, is all around creating equity in the arts for black and brown folks. What do you mean by creating equity? Yeah, so I mean, if you look at the art world writ large, um, there are a lot of uh, kind of sad stats there in terms of the underrepresentation of people of color, in terms of you know artists on the walls at museums, in terms of the staff they're in, um, in terms of curators, gallery owners. Um, I couldn't even actually find any information on, on collectors, which kind of is telling. And uh, yeah, and, you know what you're seeing is a space where. You know, we're almost in like this this renaissance of of black art and art by black artists being you know appreciated and 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 purchased for higher and higher prices. You know, I think that Basquiat right now is the highest um, selling um, deceased artist um, in history. So, I, you know, there's that's happening, but I don't know that the that that is actually creating. Equity, and I think one of the missions with Art Noir is really to ensure that um, Black and Brown communities are getting a return on investment that we have historically put into creative spaces. Right. So e- equity, as in the financial value of an asset, sense money. Well, no, yeah. I mean, even when I think of ROI, I think about it in terms of community building. I think about it in terms of money. I think about it in terms of, um, of jo- the joy of art, <laughs> the joy of art and creativity and, and making things. So, you know, I think it's really just about being able to benefit from it in, in, in all sorts of ways. Okay. Can you tell me about one or two of the events that you've been involved with in the past year or two? 
Yeah, for sure. So um, one of the things that was really exciting, um, a couple of months ago, we organized a um, our first almost like mini art fair, I'll call it, uh, was 100 Works, which was co-created, uh, co-curated with Derek Adams. Um, and, you know, I think it was a great opportunity for um, arts artists in the community to really get together. But also a great opportunity for people who are interested in collecting to be able to have access to pieces by um, artists who are really, really up and coming or like, you know, kind of becoming established and have it for, um, for really good prices. Um, so that was exciting. That, that's what I really get excited about when it comes to art noir programming. We also have a fantastic thing coming up that we're planning right now, Beyond the Streets. So Beyond the Streets is a ginormous <laughs> exhibit of street art um, that uh, it was in, L- in LA, will be in New York, and Art Noir was invited to um, to curate the panel discussions that are going to happen um, throughout the two months that they're up. So that's really exciting and, and has kind of you know, created another, another little work stream over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if people are interested in finding out about the artists who stimulate you, wh- where can people find them? Uh, Instagram, <laughs> follow at Art Noir Co, A-R-T-N-O-I-R-C-O. Um, you know, I think we try to post as much stuff there as possible. And I mean, oh, actually a lot of the stuff we do, you know, we've done a couple of like studio visit tours. Um, we did one in the Bronx, uh, recently we'll, we'll probably definitely do another one, um, towards the end of the summer or early fall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's just like a lot happening in studios in the Bronx right now. And like really being able to get in there and like see what people are working on is dope. I also think that, you know, going to portfolio reviews, um, you know, things like that at different colleges can be really interesting. And I don't know, just looking up, looking in windows and, you know, looking on, on walls. Okay. Uh, what, are you, what other industry organizations or community groups are you, are you involved with? You're pretty active with it, aren't you? Well, I actually did this exercise yesterday around like trying to like list out like the different sort of what I would call like, quote unquote communities that I'm part of. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, because whenever I feel like there's something that needs doing, like my instinct is always to ask like, okay, like where's my tribe? Like, who am I going to get to help me? Like, how are we going to do it together? How are we going to build? And, you know, I think Art Noir is a really big one. But I mean, I think I'm also very active in, um, I would say, like in the Kundalini yoga community, for instance. <laughs> um, you know, I definitely am like very close to like the kind of the people at the sisterhood at like Rama Studio and try to do that as regularly as possible. You know, I've got my church community as well. This really fun thing I've started doing, I mean, I've actually noticed this popping up quite a bit. Like, I mean, I think the spiritual dawning is upon us, but like, we also do like these full moon circles and ceremonies. Um, me and like a, a handful of my friends and my sister really run them, try to do it monthly around just kind of coming together in sisterhood and deciding what we're going to let go of and what we want to manifest for the month ahead. Um, so that's something I'm very involved in, in organizing and leading as well. I love There's that. a few. What did you decide to let go of and to manifest at the last full moon uh, circle? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, the last kind of sort of spiritual journey I had was really around like the strength to do what others can't. And I know that it was born from this moment that I had in my Kundalini yoga class where 
you know, you kind of do these like repetitious motions and you, or these kind of still motions, and you hold them for a really long time. And I want to say in this particular career, we were holding it for like 22 minutes and, you know, and, and you do things with your eyes closed, but you can really feel the energy of the people around you. And it's hard to describe, right? It's very palpable. You can feel the struggle is so real in these moments. And, and I remember like calling upon the source to just say like, please like give me the strength to do what others can't like, so that I can like help them do what they think that they can. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just such a powerful moment that I wrote it down and wanted to kind of think about that and like, you know, how to, you know, really be resilient through challenges and, and help others see that they can do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the energy of manifesting right now. Okay. Can you tell me what you were trying to leave behind or hoping to leave behind? <laughs> uh, Maybe, maybe another interview. <laughs> that might be another topic, Mark. <laughs> was, that just, was it just a? Was that just a nice no? <laughs> well, you know, I'm in communications. Got to protect that uh, that personal brand, there, Millie. <laughs> um, so just just to just to finish off, as far as the the original topic that we started on strategizing while black, if, if someone identifies with what you're talking about, where can they find support? That's a really good question, Dash. Well, I mean, there are some fantastic organizations. I have to say, number one, Ad Color is a phenomenal organization. Um, you know, I've I've been going to the Ad Color Awards for the past few years, and you know, going to different events and such. And they are truly an incredible, incredible community that is very supportive of you know creatives and strategists and you know of all different ages and levels um you know in the field so i think ad color is a fantastic resource um also colorcom is another great organization um really more on the communication side of things um they have been doing conferences they have regular programming it's multi-city um so that's another fantastic place I've also been ridiculously impressed with what uh, the Creative Collective is doing. Um, they, they host this new um, event called CultureCon that was really successful last year, and I'm sure it's going to be even more successful this year. We did an event with them um, here at Edelman for Black History Month that was fantastic. So, you know, there, there, there are quite a few of them out there for sure. Okay, awesome. Uh, and then the final question, where can people find you on the internet? Where are you most active? I'm not super active on the internet <laughs> and I think that, you know, I used to be, um, but whenever I start to feel like it's, it's like feels like too much of a job, I tend to pull back a little bit. Mm. But that being said, um, I definitely post everything for Art Noir um, on my Instagram, which is Melly Hawk, M-E-L-L-E-H-A-W-K, like the bird, um, on Insta. And, um, and yeah, that's really where, and, and Art Noir is at Art Noir, A-R-T-N-O-I-R-C-O. Art Noir Co. Um, so that's another great place to define me. Awesome. Well, I, I know it's a huge topic that we tried to bite off and we did it very quickly, but uh, I'm sure to give people something to think about. And I, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on the topic and your story with me today, Melly. Thank you. I appreciate it always, Mark. Thank you. Pause.